Kia ora e te and welcome to Tall Stories, Tales from the Built Environment, a podcast series by the New Zealand Institute of Building. Join us as we delve into personal stories about inspirational career journeys for people in design and construction, as you too build your own story. Hi, Angela. How are you doing? Hi, good, thank you. Yeah, great, thanks. Very good, very good. So um, today we're talking about your individual journeys through uh, this construction industry that we all that we all share. Um, so I'm wondering, actually, Angela, starting with you, because I noticed you've got a quite interesting background and ended up um, at some really interesting companies. Um, so I'm really keen to sort of see, I guess, maybe where you started and 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 how the, I guess the journey started from you, and basically how you progressed. Because I know you went overseas for a bit. Sure. So um, probably not too conventional, not following the, the, the tested path. Um, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do when I was at school. I flirted with the idea of, of going into the police force um, for a while and left school still not knowing what I wanted to do. Um, filled in some time doing a tourism studies course at, right. at Polytech, which they were called at the time and started working um, for a refrigeration company in the Waikato as an office uh, administrator, typing up invoices <laughs> on an electric typewriter. <laughs> and I actually stayed there for, I think, uh, six or seven years and worked my way through to a service manager position. And that was my, I guess, introduction into a little bit of construction. We worked in in supermarkets and, and um, new residential buildings. Mm. I also bought a hairdressing salon at the time mm. um, just to challenge myself a little bit further, which had uh, 11, no, seven um, hairdressers working into it. At the time, I was engaged to a hairdresser, which was which was why we did that. And that was interesting. Uh, and that was probably a, a baptism of fire into learning about mm. running a business, uh, managing people, um, tax obligations, everything. So did that whilst working full time, um, probably, and that was in my early 20s. And oh. so I sort of thought, okay, this is probably a little bit too much. I haven't done an OE engagement break off. What am I going to do? So I decided to go over to London. Uh, London was a fantastic experience. That was um, my first introduction to a proper construction site. Mm. I um, was contacted by a friend from Waikato who said, I'm working on a building site. Why don't you come and join me? It's good fun. The pay is quite good. Mm. So I was I was working um, in a procurement department at the time for the Royal uh, College of Surgeons, uh, which was a bizarre place. Mm. So I went over to the construction site, and that's when I... I saw all the different roles. I saw the QSs, the site managers. Um, my role was procurement, so I was um, calling off materials and requisitioning materials for the build. It was a big residential um, development in West London, and that was cool. I really enjoyed it. I was the only woman on the site, apart from the office administrator, but actually I enjoyed that. I enjoyed bringing a different different mm. dynamic, and, and also I was a Kiwi, so that was interesting to people, and that was good fun. From there, um, I just thought, actually, this is this is probably the industry that I'd like to learn more about and be in. So you got you got the bug really. I got the bug. Yeah, yeah. I actually worked for there for uh, three years uh, until my visa ran out. I got a working holiday visa, and they were only 
three years at the time. <laughs> uh, so I came back to New Zealand and was offered a position with Fletcher's. It was Fletcher Engineering as a, as a cadet QS, uh, working on the Alliance Project Reflow, uh, and that was awesome. It was really good fun, um, really collaborative uh, form of contract, worked well, um, project was on time and mm. in budget, mm. so that was successful. Uh, that was where I started doing training as a QS at Unitech. Um, additionally, I before I went to the UK, I'd started a um, postgraduate diploma in management studies, and so I decided I'd finish that as well. Yeah. So I came back, finished that, and um, after 18 months, uh, a man that I'd met in the UK came over and proposed to me. And I thought, okay, cool, um, yes, um, should we stay in New Zealand and, and, or should we go up to the UK? So then we decided to go back to London. And so I, I went to London for, for circa 20 years um, before returning back to New Zealand. And London construction was awesome. There's, yeah. there's some great companies. I worked for Skanska, mm. um, a Swedish, Swedish-owned company, which had an amazing culture um, that Swedish philosophy running through it where it was very much care for life, care for people, care for the environment that you're building in and I, I developed my QSing skills with commercial skills working for Skanska and prior to that another building company in Knight Harwood. So yeah, so mm. so all in all sort of spent, yeah, spent two decades in London before coming back to New Zealand. So it's interesting um, that you mentioned before and that you got an insight into the various roles on a construction site for the first time. And it's probably quite a surprise that you, you see construction sites all the time and then and, and you imagine what's going on there, but actually the reality can be quite different. You see there's quite a lot of diversity, there's quite a lot of different kind of tasks that go on. Caitlin, um, so Angela's sort of did management studies and then and then QSing. You're you're actually just completed your, your bachelor degree in, in Corn Surveying. And now moving into project management, what what's behind that decision? What do you what's your background? What why did you decide to go into QSing? I guess my role also started a bit differently in my introduction into the construction industry. Mm. When I was at high school, I did you know all of the sciences, mathematics, and everything. So I was pushed more down an academia route. So mm. I actually did my first year of biomedical science studies mm. um, with the intention of becoming a doctor. But then I got to the end of my first year and I just didn't have the passion for it that mm. I could see a lot of my peers had around me. And so I was sitting there, you know, and I was like, you know, ready to go back for my second year. And I was just sitting there like thinking to myself, do I really want to do this? Mm. And then so I made the decision, well, if I'm not going to do this, then I need to find a job, mm. um, you know, and try and find something for the interim and see what I can do. Because, mm. yeah, like you say, I had no idea that construction was even an option for me when I was younger. Mm. I was, it was never really pushed or encouraged either. I didn't know what a quantity surveyor was back then either. <laughs> so, yeah, once I started um, trying to find jobs and everything, I just started working for a local carpet court nearby. And um, in that role, I was working more residential sales showroom kind of thing. Yeah. But then my manager at the time saw, I guess, my potential and was like, hey, you know, step over, start looking after our commercial construction sites and, you know, with our big builders and big retirement villages that yeah. had a lot of work um, 
going down and so I was responsible for all of the flooring in there. So I'd only been working there for about three months before that happened. So yeah, well done. I really got thrown in the deep end and it was either sink or swim and I tried, you know, my best to paddle and swim. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so it was from there that I really got introduced to a construction site and that I discovered quantity surveying as a role, um, yeah. which was really cool. And that construction wasn't just a place you go to do a trade, um, which was always what was pushed to me when I was younger. So yeah, yeah. yeah I was like, you know what? had a look, saw Mass University, had their Bachelor of Construction and Quantity Surveying, and I was like, yeah, why not? I'll give this a go. So I've been working and studying full-time for the last three years. Wow, okay. And so, um, you know, is there any kind of, you know, I, I assume that your previous track for that, that you don't become a doctor in the health um, industry, has it ever come back to you again after you've studied, or is or you're, you're happy and you're, you're effectively this is what you're going to be doing? It's really interesting because... It's given me such a great understanding of a lot of the like composition of our building products. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of chemicals mm. and like reactions and stuff that goes on with mm. that, especially for me being in flooring. We've got, you know, how our glues react with the pH of the concrete and things like that we need to consider, or, or you know, the relative humidity of, you know, the slab and everything like that. That's really important. Yeah. So, yeah, it's actually just given me a really good understanding and it's definitely helped me progress my knowledge a lot faster than potentially someone who didn't have a more science background. One thing I really love is when people come from outside the industry into the industry because it brings such a fresh kind of understanding and oftentimes they're coming think they're coming and sort of saying why does the construction industry operate like this and they can't make any, you know, any kind of sense of it so I, I like that idea that you're coming and bringing something that on the face of it's not quite related. But then, when you actually come in with practical application of on a site, you can you can start to see how all this comes together. Um, I'm a bit like you. I studied doing something completely different before I went to architecture school. In fact, I did two years of philosophy. So uh, don't ask me why. But uh, but I could once you start to get into the construction industry, you can start to see how everything meshes and everything kind of works together, and you can start to see patterns across the industry. So. Um, Angela, you, you've had uh, a lot of time in the, like a tier one contractor. It was interesting that you said that um, that kind of Swedish culture rubbed through that whole organization. I think that's also interesting too because you get that sort of sense of care and sense of culture that goes through and I think that's starting to become more, more important in construction. Um, you're currently working for Auckland Airports. Um, how's, the, how's the culture there or how is the culture different from you know, normal construction or a normal property company because you've had a lot of experience in traditional construction as well, right? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I mean, as a business, it's it's, it's not just a construction business. Mm. It's a it's a airport, you know, yeah. it's a, there's retail and there's, there's airlines and as well as construction and, and the infrastructure program, which, which I'm involved in. Um, but as far as culture and values, it does mesh really well. Um, we've got a fantastic leadership team that actually has made sure that that's a priority mm. um, and so I think that through the recruitment and through the development of people that um, you know the core values are, um, are definitely uh, in the company I mean every company's got room for improvement right mm. <laughs> but the airport you know I can I can definitely see and I can say that you know through my experience it's been good to see the the um, improvement across construction from when I started mm. Um, not just health and safety, but you know the wellness aspect that we we talk about a lot more now. Yeah. Um, it was always health and safety, and health and safety is absolutely paramount to, to delivery. But it's nice that now, I think all industries are recognising that there's a that there's a mental health and there's a wellness piece that that we need to be 
that we need to be able to. Yeah, yeah. That's been a really big change. And I think kind of post-COVID as well, there's a much more emphasis on that and much more emphasis on, you know, the fact that the, you know, you are a real person, you've got family, you've got commitments and outside the, outside the company. And I think the Nordic culture really got that even yeah. prior to COVID, you yeah. know, with the extended parental leave and the maternity leave, they, they acknowledged that actually it was important to have, have happy, healthy people mm. um, to make an organisation successful, which is why I think Skanska really nailed it as a business. Mm. Mm. This episode is proudly sponsored by Jib Plasterboard, your local plasterboard manufacturer. Jib Plasterboard offers a wide range of training programs and technical help for lining installation, fire resistance performance, noise control, wet area systems, and rigid air barrier solutions. Please call the Jib Helpline team on 0800 100 442 for technical support or register for a training session at jib.co.nz slash training and events. So Caitlin, when you're you're basically on on site probably quite a lot, um, and you're dealing with the kind of the nitty-gritty of, of flooring and construction and timelines and programs, all that kind of thing, and what's the pressure like when it comes to kind of delivering and uh, have you felt like um, you've got you've got good support there and good knowledge to be able to kind of come kind of deal with these issues that often come up in construction sites. Yeah, being in flooring with the last trade in, yeah. so um, usually our two week time frame we might have to install gets pushed to a few days. Yeah, or, or a few minutes. <laughs> yeah essentially. Um, yeah, that is a really high pressure environment to be in. Um, our schedule also constantly changes just because we are at the mercy of you know all the other twenty or thirty trades that come before us mm. on the site. Um, it's definitely given me a lot of resilience and also the ability to prioritize my workload at the time, you know, and try and fit these deadlines. Um, I'm really thankful because I have a really good support network mm. with my bosses and with uh, my managers as well. Um, they have huge experience um, in flooring, you know, with 30 and 16 years experience between the two of them. Mm. And so they really are my rock and I've learned so much from them because anytime we have any small issue crop up and I'm stuck or I need just a bit of advice, you know, they're the ones there helping me out. Or if, you know, I have to stand my ground and say, hey, look, this isn't reasonable, the timeframes you're giving me, they're the first people to back me up, which is really cool. And I know, I know from personal experience that, you know, as the last trade, kind of everything has to be kind of right before you start, you know, before the, the, the people laying the product can lay the product. I mean, you have to have... Um, Moisture conditions have to be correct. You know, you have to have a closed and controlled environment. You know, because you you are also carrying you know, risk as well, warranties and guarantees, all that kind of thing. So I can imagine that you've been in a few situations where you're under pressure to sort of ignore some of those other things and, and basically get on with the job, right? Yep. So there is often times where we do have that where people are wanting us to just get go 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 get everything done, but at the end of the day, the risk of doing things in not the right environment is quite high, especially with something of specialty floor coverings. Mm. So, you know, we have to go back to our contractor and be like, explain, you know, the tough the tough scenarios and say, hey, look, these are your, your slab conditions. We need to do something about this. Otherwise, these are the issues you're going to have further down the track. Might not happen straight away, but a year, maybe two years down, down the line, you'll get a phone call from your client grumpy because their floors, you know, yeah. all bubbling. Because it's what the client sees, right? Yeah. They don't see the, the timber behind the wall, but they see the, the carpet or the or the you know floor covering on the on the floor. So 
pretty critical um, to get that right. So tell me why you're going down this um, project management route. What what um, what are you looking for? You've seen Angela and her journey and heard about all that, and um, you know what are you hoping to accomplish by going down the project management route? I guess working um, on a lot of these construction sites, such as retirement villages, schools, healthcare, that kind of thing, they tend to have a separate project management firm running the project um, that the contractor is then working underneath. And from my experience of being on, on the flip side and seeing things such as you know moisture issues, uh, asbestos in a lot of the refurb yeah. jobs we do, because we're based in Whangarei, so yeah, lots right. of old buildings, yeah. um, it's just given me an insight to that project management world um, and I think it's something I really enjoy and I think it's something a lot of my skills are transferable to. Mm. So yeah, I guess I started out on the pricing side but I ended up really enjoying the more project management side mm. of mm. my role. So Angela, have you got any advice for Caitlin? I mean, it sounds like she's put herself in a really good position. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, you're obviously um, clever and, and driven, which is which is cool. Um, and I think it's great that you've got previous experience from, um, you know, another business which is connected to construction but is another business. Um, because I think it's that sort of diversity that the construction industry needs. I think that, you know, we are a business that is slow, you know, slow to change, I think our output or our production is the same as it was 100 years ago or something, some, some statistic. We haven't really got quicker or, or better at doing things. So I think the more you know, diversity of people and thoughts and ideas come into the business, I think that that will improve. Yeah. Um, totally so, it's, so it's awesome. Congratulations, it's Thank cool. You. I totally agree. I mean, I, like your role, I mean, with Auckland Airports, you really, it's it's a it's a public asset to a large degree because it's what everybody experiences. It's an essential really. service. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And so you've got this massive scope and probably a lot of massive pressure as well to be able to kind of keep on top of the, the functionality of that asset, the, you know, the fact that it's the first, it's the front door to everybody coming to the country. So what are the, some of the challenges you're seeing in the next few years, post-COVID, you know, um, what's what's in the top of your mind for your role and and what are you looking for from people like Caitlin coming through to, to what kind of skills can they bring? I think, um, you know, maybe change the, the traditional a little bit and I know that this, the traditional, and I see it more coming back from the UK to New Zealand, the traditional uh, relationship between principal and contractors mm. and the, the balance of risk um, that's being that's being flowed. And actually, um, there's some good things in New Zealand that's done better than the UK, but, but alternatively, um, there's some learnings. So for my role, I would like to be able to um, change a little bit of that balance and maybe do things a little bit more collaboratively and looking at our forms of contracts and how can we work as a as a team rather than you know master slave kind of thing Um, and I mean I just got off a phone call actually with a colleague and and because it is a massive program of work that that will be carried out so looking at at, yeah away from the traditional and look at you know this is a business it's over a long program you know how can we de-risk it but also you know um, make sure that it provides value for money and and um, is the right product. Um, there's a lot of people involved in it, but I think from from my perspective, it's it's looking at how, how we can do it collaboratively to display that value. Yeah, you mentioned before that you're involved 
with Fletcher's on the on the collaborative contract, and it's interesting because um, I think if you look in the history, you do see some of the examples of very successful collaborative ways of working, but it's certainly not the norm. I guess the the hunch here is that um, if you've got people coming from in, inside the industry that are outside of it, they'll start to bring their own perspectives, and you might be able to get back to that point where actually it is more collaborative rather than confrontational. I mean. There is a, a strong confrontational sort of um, spirit sometimes in construction and um, uh, and sometimes in architecture and consultancy as well. And really, um, a lot of that stems from a kind of a, a, I guess a basis of fair or a basis of like these very mm. strong contract terms. Mm. So I think um, it'd be interesting to sort of explore that that idea that actually we're all working towards a common goal. And with you know with the evidence as a as a that's such a sort of iconic. Absolutely. Um, important place. Yeah. It's sort of, yeah. It's, it's sort at of the end of the day, if the contractor wins, the client wins. Yeah. So it needs to be approached from that from that view, I think. Caitlin, um, so you were on a different track and you came into construction. What would you say to younger people or even people in a different industry? What, what are the kind of the main kind of perceptions you want to kind of knock on the head for people um, if they're considering coming into into this uh, into this industry? I guess that you can have a very successful career in construction, um, even at a younger age, and that you're also never too old to switch over to a construction role. Um, I guess I was 21 when I started my bachelor's degree, which is seen as a slightly older student, funnily enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, we still had people in their 30s and 40s that were also studying um, quantity surveying, and they were just trying to you know, upskill their knowledge or start to venture into the industry. So, you know, it's, you're never too young or too old to start studying in construction. Yeah. yeah. Is there something that surprised you about the industry? Something that you thought, I didn't realize that happened here? I guess what surprised me actually is just actually the amount of women that are actually currently working in construction. That's probably what surprised me. And it's been really, really cool to see. And it's been quite empowering, really, you know. Uh, we've got female workers of ours that are flooring installers so they're out there laying the products and it's just something that when I was younger I never envisioned um, was possible for women to do but yeah and you know you've got female sparkies female plumbers it's just really really cool to see that diversity on site mm. yeah I think um, it sort of seems to be like an opportunity for leadership and you sort of almost have to take it um, and and provide you've got the right skills and you know, the right mentors, it sort of makes things a whole lot easier for, for that to happen. Angela, your mentorship role, have you got younger people that you look after inside your organisation that you that you work alongside or have done that in the past? Yeah, um, quite extensively. In, in the UK, I was the chair of a professional pathways group um, and our ambition was to um, develop the younger QS function through a professional membership pathway and we chose the Royal Institution of Chartered Spares. And I'm also an assessor for RICS yeah. and, um, and a counsellor. Um, so I've got a couple of candidates that I'm helping through their chartership at the moment. And it's not it's not something that I have done in my role at the airport, um, at my previous role um, at Icon. I hope <laughs> I helped mentor <laughs> and develop some of the some of the um, younger QSs. So how does that work? I mean, I, I, I imagine if somebody is younger and they they don't know actually, some, maybe something like mentorship actually exists. You know, but it's probably just hey talking to somebody in an organisation saying. 
I need some help, can I talk to you, coffee? Yeah, yeah 100%. I mean, I would um, encourage anybody to reach out to me personally if, if they wanted um, a chat. Uh, I think the other thing that's really good is there's a lot, a lot more community engagement and it's something that actually is um, bought through the contracts, mm. construction contracts, and um, and there's an obligation there to make sure that you know businesses are engaging in the community that they're building in, which is cool. Um, but that also enables... You know, some community engagement whereby people can go into schools. Um, like last year, I was in uh, Auckland Grammar School talking to some of the students there and talking mm-hmm. to them about QESing. And I guess, like you, Caitlin, they didn't know, and like me at school, I didn't know that QESing was even a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, you know, talking to them about it and saying, you know, this is a great career. It's not about muddy boots on a construction site. Mm-hmm. QESing is holding the purse strings, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of the cement. Um, in a building it's a great career yeah I mean from an architecture my background and 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 actually working a lot in construction a lot in development you know the QS's are always strike me as being very very knowledgeable about almost everything to do with the building and and whilst as 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 have my background I'm sure I can get an excel spreadsheet not to get all that kind of thing (laughs) but what I do miss out is all the intelligence all the understanding of of how this all works together so um, I've got an admiration for for QSing, which is sometimes hard for um, for us in the architecture industry to say, but um, <laughs> but uh, we get along fine. Um, so um, it's not all about value engineering. No, 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 no. Yeah, it's the funnest part of the job sometimes. Um, so um, Caitlin, you're you're embarking on this next educational um, part of your career. Um, what do you see yourself doing in say five years time? Um, I'd see myself hopefully either working you know in project management hopefully have finished my masters and potentially even be working towards my phd um that's interesting yeah so that's definitely something I'd, I'd quite like to do for my own personal development just you know become a doctor a different way mm-hmm. yeah 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 <laughs> um but i guess at the moment too being at university we do run our women in built environment group yeah and so through that, we actually do a lot of mentorship. We do partner with construction companies, and we're always looking for more construction companies to partner with, yeah. where we do professional development with students. So this just gives students the opportunity to develop skills outside of necessarily quantity surveying or you know construction management, and more of those leadership and those critical role you know skills to get these better roles, I guess you could say, and progress faster once they are up and running and working in the industry. Mm, mm. It's, it's interesting, that PhD track. I think um, a lot of people don't know, actually, that you know, there is academic research into construction and design, and actually there's a lot of very valuable papers and really good academic research that I often look at. It's sort of like a bit of a secret resource, from my perspective, um, because you can go and find out things that people are actually tested, you know, particularly if you're interested in off-site manufacturing or low-carbon construction on those kind of things, product development. So, yeah, that sounds really interesting. Look, I think um, it's been a great conversation. Thanks for coming along. It's um, been really insightful. So Thank, thank you, you. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to Tall Stories, Tales from the Built Environment, a podcast series by the New Zealand Institute of Building.